Do you know the story of Christmas? Do you know how it happened? On December Sunday mornings here at Meadowbrook, we've been looking at how it happened, how it unfolded. We've been taking a different gospel account over the last few Sundays and looking at each gospel writer's angle uh, on the story of Christmas. And all the gospel accounts, by the way, agree in, this, uh, in the primary message and what happened. They agree in, in message, but they come at the message, the story of Christmas, in slightly different uh, ways. And today we come to the traditional telling of the story of Christmas from Luke's gospel. So let me invite you to open up with me this morning to Luke's gospel. We'll be in Luke chapter 2 today, verses 1 through 7. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to look on with someone else or to look on a device or to grab a pew Bible. And you can look in a pew Bible on page 832. You'll find the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. And so let's look at what Luke has to say. And as you find your place there in God's Word, let me invite you, as is our practice and custom here at Meadowbrook, to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Holy Word. Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7, Luke writes, he says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Would you bow with me? Father, we come before you this morning, and we give you thanks for your word, give you thanks for Speaking to us, Lord, you do not leave us in the dark. You instruct us, you con- confront us and convict us. You, in- you shape us and encourage us through your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do so now by the presence and guidance and power of your spirit through the preaching of your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our text, the text that you're probably Uh, fairly familiar with, our text for today mentions three kings. Uh, And and you you know how that goes. You know the song, uh, We Three Kings from... Not those three kings. It's not the Magi. Uh, It's not the kings from the east. Uh, Luke, perhaps more subtly, mentions three kings, three other kings, with varying levels of power and sway in Mary's day. Uh, The first of these is Caesar Augustus, the king of the Roman Empire in which ancient Palestine was an occupied territory. Remember that the Jews were under the control of the Romans. And Caesar was the family name of Julius Caesar, uh, arguably the founder of the Roman Empire who was assassinated on the Ides of March, March the 15th and 44 BC, after declaring himself uh, as the perpetual dictator. Folks didn't like that. And then following a a period of shared leadership by his generals, uh, one of those, Octavian or Augustus, became the sole leader of the empire in 27 BC, making him the first emperor of Rome. The title Caesar was was then given uh, to Augustus as a way of keeping Julius Caesar's memory alive. 
Now this Caesar, Caesar Augustus, reigned from 27 B.C. to A.D. 14. And here in Luke chapter 2, Luke tells us that Caesar Augustus issued a, a, a decree that a census had to be taken, meaning everyone in the empire had to return to their ancestral homeland to be registered. He wanted an up-to-date, accurate list of residents, of citizens, of uh, family members, of those that were part of his empire. And this meant, according to the scriptures, that Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because he was a descendant of David, whose family roots lay in the town of Bethlehem. Now, traveling from Nazareth in the north uh, near the Sea of Galilee to Bethlehem in the south near uh, the, the Dead Sea meant an 80-mile journey crossing through uh, the region of Samaria. Now, this was not an easy journey for anyone to take. Not an easy journey on any occasion. Imagine men going from Hoover to Montgomery, roughly 80 miles, uh, without any motor vehicle and without a paved highway. This puts a whole new uh, level of meaning to the requirement to to go to the DMV. No longer are we allowed to complain about going to the DMV. This was probably about a 10-day journey through rugged terrain that appeared to be an uncomfortable inconvenience for Joseph. Now, ladies, more specifically, Meredith, I don't see Ashley Alcano, two ladies, and there may be others, but two ladies that I'm aware of in our congregation that are now in their third trimester of pregnancy. Now, imagine hearing that you need to take this journey and you need to begin this journey today. Now, I know that Meredith is a rock star, but that's a little bit of a different scenario, is it not? You see, the timing for Mary may well have been absolutely devastating, knowing that she may go to go into labor at any point along the journey. And even if she had been able to stay back in Nazareth and send Joseph on this journey, and she may well have been, we're we're not sure. Her love for him and perhaps the gossip that's brewing back in Nazareth about her pregnancy uh, may have stirred her to join him. You see, this terribly inconvenient decree by Caesar totally destroyed the way that Mary must have imagined things going. But as she would soon see, and as we now know, God was orchestrating his plans. God was at work. That this did not catch him by surprise. Caesar, the king of the empire, issues a decree. And Luke says everyone went to their own town to register. Caesar issued a decree and everybody went. Everybody obeyed. Large and in charge. Or is he? See, Luke is telling us that those who appear in charge aren't really in charge. Those who appear in charge in this life, on this earth, aren't really in charge. That's what Luke wants us to know. King number one is Caesar. He's the man of the day. When he speaks, his subjects listen. When he commands, his subjects obey. But, says Luke, Caesar is serving here as a puppet of God. You see, God has chosen to operate in such a way as to use human agents to participate, sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly, in his grand purposes. They are part of his purposes, part of his plan to establish 
and maintain societal order. Paul instructs us in Romans chapter 13. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority that which, uh, except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. In other words, worldly rulers hold authority. Worldly rulers hold authority here in this life, on this earth. Presidents and police and principals and parents, all part of God's design and God's desire to maintain order and structure in the world that he has made. And unless they call us to to breach our allegiance to Christ himself, we are called to submit to those in leadership positions of authority over us. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. He said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And so, church, this is what Joseph and Mary are doing. They're obeying those in a position of leadership over them. Just as their son would later instruct others to do when he was asked about paying taxes to Caesar. Remember how Jesus responded. He said, show me a denarius, the coin of the day. He said, whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Interestingly, this was probably the very purpose of the census that Caesar was requiring. Registration for taxation. Don't you love paying taxes? Who enjoys paying taxes? No one. Don't you love when other people determine what you pay and how that money is spent by the government? Don't you love submitting to others? Who likes to submit? Don't you love submitting to others, be they parents or principals or police or or presidents? But they are part of God's plan. And ultimately, they do not, however, write the plan. He does. God does. See, worldly rulers hold authority, but they do so under God's authority. Worldly rulers hold authority under God's authority. This is where the Christmas story gets really good. One pastor and author, Adam Hamilton, writes this. He says, there is a deeper meaning to these events that Mary can't understand yet. I would add to that that Caesar doesn't understand, that he can't understand, that Joseph can't understand yet, or the innkeeper or anyone else in the story. God is taking the decision of a greedy emperor and forcing it to serve God's own saving purposes. And friends, like Mary in the first century, you may find yourself today in an unusual or difficult circumstance. You may find yourself in a challenging situation, thinking that you are outside the plan of the sovereign God, but your present circumstance may well be part of the plan of God. See, He is working in ways that you and I don't see or understand. And He is trustworthy. You may be facing terminal illness. You may be facing job loss. You may be facing family dysfunction or depression or discrimination, or divorce, or or deep debt, or some other inconvenient and terribly difficult circumstance. But you can take comfort today in knowing that nothing happening to you is outside the providential care and control of a good and faithful God who is filled with compassion and mercy and love for you. Child of God, He is working 
for your good. Those who appear in charge aren't really in charge. And neither are you. And neither am I. Nor should we want to be. Because left to ourselves, the scriptures tell us that we choose sin. Left to ourselves, we choose our own way. We have rejected Him. We rebel against Him and go our own path time and time again. Thank the Lord that we are not in charge, but He is. The God who just is and always is. Friends, is working out His plan in salvation history and His plan is good news for broken sinners. It is good news for those that recognize that They are sinners and in need of a Savior. I don't know how familiar Mary and Joseph were with the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. But I do believe they must have known King number 2 of Luke chapter 2. For any faithful Jew uh, knew of the great King David, the one considered the ideal king of God's people. A gifted musician and a mighty warrior. The victor of the giant Goliath and a man after God's own heart. And yet now dead. For no king or kingdom, not even this one, lasts forever. You see, Israel in her history faced invasion and defeat by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And now they're under the rule of Caesar and the Romans. Yet what was taking place through Caesar's decree was setting the stage for the divine plan of salvation that had been proclaimed to the prophets The prophets of old, through the prophet Malachi, some seven centuries prior when he said, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. You see, Luke doesn't want us to miss the connection here with the covenant that God had made 1,000 years earlier with King David, recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord had said through the prophet to David, David, when your days are over and you rest, in other words, David, when you're gone from this earth, when you die and pass away, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, And I will establish his kingdom. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. You see, as Luke tells the story of Christmas, he wants his readers to know. Church, he wants us to know. The Spirit of God wants us to know that Joseph went to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house In line of David, verse 4. And that while there in Bethlehem, just as Micah had predicted, one was born who would indeed be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the Savior of the world and the bright morning star. He is the Ancient of Days, the Redeemer and the Son of the Most High God. See, on the surface, it seemed... As if Caesar Augustus was in full control. And friend, on the surface, it may seem today as if a worldly ruler or a greedy boss or an ailing body or a classroom bully uh, or a depressed mind or the devil himself is in full control. But may I remind you today that there is a God 
who has ruled and who is ruling and who will rule and reign forever and ever and ever, who is working through and despite and beyond people and events in order to accomplish his divine purposes. See God's supremacy. See his supremacy. See that he is unmatched, that he is unequal, that he is God most high. This is how he operates. See his might and surrender to him. From delight in the grand plan of the sovereign God who is greater and wiser and stronger than any human ambition or dream or plan, see his supremacy. See his supremacy over Caesar and over sickness and over Satan and over the shackles of sin. God is supreme. He is supreme. And this supreme one left his rightful throne on high and condescended to Bethlehem, the city of David, and entered the world as a pudgy, naked, crying infant boy, dependent upon parents to feed and clothe and rock and comfort and teach and change him. Luke says Mary wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And some translations read because there was no place for them in the inn. Or there was no room for them at the lodging place. Or in the words of a child, there were no beds in Bethlehem. And whether or not Luke is telling us that the local inn was totally occupied or that Joseph's relatives already had a full house, the point is that there was no suitable place available for this baby to be born. Friends, though a king, though a king, he was born into the company of animals, placed in a manger, a feeding trough, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Friends, do we really know what we sing? Sweet baby Jesus is Lord of all. Don't miss it. The humble baby laid in the manger is the king of the ages. The humble baby laid in the manger is the king of of the ages. The king of, of all kings. Those of you that have family out of town and you travel sometimes to the holidays and perhaps travel alongside other family members and then divide up in a house uh, bedrooms this uh, this story uh, brought my mind there as I think of my own family from time to time condescending on uh, a parent's house and then divvying up bedrooms for various subunits or families within the broader family and of course we all do so and we sort of have this uh, practice I guess so to speak we've never said it but first come first serve and we're all thinking through the lens of what's the best for us what's the best for our kids and not necessarily everyone else's kids and I have to wonder those here in Bethlehem failed to make room for the king of the ages if they would have known who was really present would they have made room would relatives and residents Would innkeepers and inhabitants have opened up their hearts? Would they have opened up their lives? Would they have opened up their homes to make room for the king of all kings? Friend, have you opened up your heart to the king of all kings? Have you opened up your life? Have you opened up your home to make room for the king? 
Have you welcomed your maker into every moment of your life? Have you invited Emmanuel to interrupt your plans? Because you know his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. The humble baby laid in the manger is Luke's third king. Friends, he is the king of all ages. He is greater than Caesar and he is greater than David. He is the one who is greater than all other kings. The one whose coming was planned before the foundation of the world and promised to the prophets of old. And as such, the circumstances surrounding his arrival, strange as they are, are no accident, no mistake. Friends, his humble arrival reflects God's love and anticipates the humble nature of his ministry. This Christ, in the words of Paul, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped for himself. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He's the creator of the world, became a creature. The Lord of all became one of us by his own choosing. And not just any creature, friends, a baby. Experiencing the fullness of what it means to be one of us, swaddled and comforted and warmed as a tiny, innocent, dependent, newborn baby. How odd that this one placed in a feeding trough, would one day feed the masses on the hillside of Galilee. And how strange that this child who was put where food goes would soon proclaim that he is the food that gives eternal life. And this Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being Made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. To even death on a cross. Incomparable worth. The king of the ages. Unsurpassed humility. Why? Why would the almighty creator do this? Why would he do such a thing? Friends, because He loves you. Because He loves you. With an unfailing love. With an everlasting love. Friends, see God's heart for you. In the Christmas story. See God's heart for you. May we praise and thank the God who has humbly come to us as a baby boy. Living among us for 30-something years so that He could humbly die in our place doing what we could never do for ourselves that we might have abundant life in Him. Church, what I hope we're seeing this morning through the Word of God is that Jesus is the ultimate servant and King. He is the ultimate servant and King. Jesus is the ultimate servant, King. Incomparable worth and unsurpassed humility because of His matchless love for you and for me. Church, don't Don't miss the heart of Christmas. Don't miss the story of of Christmas. I I don't know your present circumstance. I don't know all that you're experiencing here this morning. I don't know if Christmas holiday and celebrations have sparked joy 
or sorrow for you. I don't know what difficulties or fears that you may be facing today, but I know that there is a servant king who longs to know and to be known by you during Christmas 2019 and forever and ever and evermore. So won't you make room for the servant king? Friend, make room for the servant king. Make room for the ultimate servant and king. Make room for him to gather family or friends to come around the table as you participate in gift exchanges as you do whatever you do over the next few days to celebrate Christmas make room for the servant king certainly in your schedules church even more so in your heart make room for the servant king Where does Christ fit in to your plans this week? Would you bow with me? Father, we come before you this morning. And we come with thankful hearts, acknowledging your grace and your goodness. Your kindness and your patience. Your love, your passion, and your plan. Lord, we recognize that you alone are God, that you are Lord of all, that you are the almighty maker of heaven and earth, the one who is Father, Spirit, and Son, that there is no one like you. You're the one who knit each of us together in our mother's wombs. Lord, you have made us, and we are accountable to you. We are responsible to you. We were made to know and to serve you and to live for you and to delight in you. And yet we have gone time and time again our own way. Rejecting you, rebelling against you. Lord, we have chosen sin and self over you. Forgive us. Lord, this morning as we reflect on the story of Christmas, as we read it anew and again, we are struck by your kindness, your humility, your patience, or your chastening love, your perfect plan. Kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, Lord, I pray that where we are running from you, that we would repent. Father, I pray that we would delight in Jesus Christ anew and afresh. Perhaps for some here this morning, for the very first time this Christmas, may we delight in you. May we rejoice in you. May we long to know and to live for you. May we make room for you. May we worship you. Lead us to that end. Lord, as we respond, as we confess, as we sing, as we celebrate, Lord, may we celebrate you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.